0: Thank you. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 19, and verse number 11. Thank you to all who are responsible for this invitation to be here. I will be brief on my introductory statements. Some of those things I'll cover during the course of the discourse Suffice to say, I love the Wilson family, the young family. They are exceedingly special to me, and I will talk more about that in the context of my comments today. Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11. And I saw heaven open. If you didn't have the rest of the verse, your mind would conjure mansions, glory, angels, golden streets. But it's interesting that when John saw heaven opened, he did not see those things. He said, behold, a white horse. And he that set upon him. I'm not going to misread the scripture. I'm going to only read the words that are in King James text. The italicized words I'm not reading this morning for an idiotic reason, I guess. I'm reading the Bible this year without reading those inserted words. And they're valuable and they should be there. Don't misunderstand me. But I just decided this year I would read the Bible through and not read those. So I'm reading today as though those italicized words were not there. And he that set upon him called, faithful, and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes as a flame of fire... And on his head, many crowns. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for this series of meetings. We thank you for the preaching the first night. I thank you for the sermons yesterday and their contribution to the overall kingdom. I thank you, Lord, for last night's message. I ask you to go with us today, touch Brother Jones and Brother Urshan as well, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The date was January the 10th, 49 B.C. Julius Caesar is returning to Rome after the conquest of the Gauls. Three days earlier, on January the 7th, the Roman Senate had passed the verdict that upon his arrival in Rome, he is scheduled to stand trial for his battle actions. He has been ordered to dismiss his troops before setting foot on Italian soil. This is the law of the Romans. Returning generals were required to disband their troops before crossing the border. This means that Julius Caesar must dismiss his legions, specifically the 13th legion, when he reached a little river called the Rubicon. By doing this, it was an affirmation on the part of the military leader that I return in peace, not war. Rome feared the possibility of a coup d'etat. But you see, Caesar prefers war. It is his intention to cross the Rubicon on his own terms. He is 50 years old, He's in the prime of his life. And on this day, January the 10th, he has dallied and delayed. He knows that if he fails, he will most likely not live another six months. He will never live to turn 51 years old. While the 13th Legion waits, prepares their weapons, and plays games, Caesar takes a bath, drinks wine. He is well aware this may be the last day he ever has this leisure. The truth is, he is delaying the inevitable. The 13th Legio waits. Each man carries 70 pounds leather boots, leggings, cloaks, bronze helmets, chainmail shirts standard uniform of a Roman legionary they carry a curved shield made of wood canvas and leather they each have two javelins one light one heavy their belt holds a Spanish sword and dagger these soldiers are bronzed by the sun many have battle scars the great majority are between 17 and 23 years old. These are tough, loyal, muscled men. They are battles fought, veterans of many excursions and many winds under their belt. And yet they have seen unspeakable horrors. Some of them, in fact many of them, remember Spartacus uprising, where 7,000 slaves revolted. And were crucified, the line of crosses stretched 240 miles from Naples to Rome. so these are no tenderfoot soldiers. these are battle-hardened soldiers who have pledged their lives and their loyalty to Julius Caesar. They admire him. they have chosen, if necessary, to die for him. In return, he is loyal to his men. He walks with them rather than ride a horse. He allows them to plunder and rape any they find. One of his most famous or infamous quotes, as your choice is, he said, my men fight just as well when they stink of perfume. Secondly, these men are loyal one to another. They call each other frater or brother. The highest honor a legionary can earn is the corona civica, the civic crown. It is awarded to those who risk their life to save a fallen freighter. Julius Caesar wears this corona civica, and it is another reason his men follow him, because his courage Finally, darkness begins to fall. Julius Caesar addresses his men. He says, we may still draw back, but once we cross that little bridge, we're going to have to fight. And if they cross that bridge, they will not be fighting Gauls or other ethnic groups, but they will be fighting other legionaries. It will be Roman against Roman, Frater against Frater. Civil war will engulf the empire for the next ten years by that one simple act of walking across that bridge. Caesar stands alone, according to Suetonius, the great historian who wrote the Twelve Caesars and other things. Caesar stands alone on that little bridge, in the stark light of torches. His eyes drift over the 13th legion, and to no one in particular, he utters the words that are on the screen. Suetonius says that he quoted it in Greek, which is structurally a little different. In Greek, it's Yakta alea Est, but the Latin form, It's what I would like to use as my title today, and it's pronounced Aleo Iacta Est. I'm not trying to be cute or innovative by using a Latin phrase. I'm choosing to use it because if I use one of the English renditions, it limits the fullness of its value. This word, this phrase has several significant meanings it means the die is cast that's of course the most well-known standing on that little bridge uttering elio yacta est suetonius said that was his intent but that's not all the latin phrase means it also means let the game be ventured It also means the future is determined and there are no more options. It also means that events will proceed in an irreversible manner. And lastly, it means the point of no return has been passed. I'm submitting to you today that when John picked up his pen... To write the book we now call Revelation. He was an old man. He lived in Ephesus. He was now in his late 80s or more probably in his early 90s. John was the last surviving apostle that Jesus had personally handpicked. And was alive on earth. He was also Jesus' cousin. Jesus' mother and John's mothers were sisters. That's why Mary was so concerned at the marriage of Cana. This was not just some person, this was her niece. All of the unfolding things that happened at that drama was because of Mary's concern for her sister's daughter. Over 60 years before this moment, when John is about to write the book of Revelation, He and his brother James had been standing by the side of the boat that their father owned. Jesus had walked by and said, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. John left the boat and began a journey that had now encompassed six decades. The years have been incredible. For three years, he had followed Jesus, the Messiah, and taught and ministered to thousands. John had been selected by Jesus to hold a special place along with his brother James and Simon Peter. These three men were what we call the inner circle. This inner circle was used by Jesus on a number of occasions during his earthly ministry. He took these three men into confidential moments the other disciples did not share. John had been there for the entire journey of Jesus' earthly ministry. John was at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. John had been through all the years of the New Testament church. John was right there standing by Simon Peter on the first day of the church in Acts chapter 2. He was there when the lame man was healed in chapter 3. John was with Peter when they were cast into prison. He had been there when his brother was martyred by Pilate. John accompanied Peter to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. John had lived through the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD when it is reported by historians that over one million Jews were crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. John had been at the Jerusalem Council when the decision was made for the Gentiles to be able to come into the church. I'm submitting to you that this old apostle, in the latter years of his earthly sojourn, his head and his mind were filled with memories of triumphs and tragedies. Now he was the last original surviving apostle. He was feeble And he was aged troubled news was being brought to him from teachers in the church that false doctrine was making its inroad. There was a growing epidemic in the church. They were telling John that Gnosticism had gained a foothold and taught that Jesus never really had a human body. This false doctrine said that the flesh is intrinsically evil, therefore Jesus could never have inhabited a sinful abode. John said, bring me writing material, and with shaking hand and possibly dictating to a helper, he wrote First John, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have handled the word of life. You may not believe him, but I was there. I walked with him. I slept beside him. He lived and he existed. John wrote 1st John, 2nd John, and 3rd John. Now no one on earth was better qualified to rise up and refute these doctrines that were threatening the church. And now, the Spirit was moving him to write the final concluding book of Holy Scripture. The book of the future. The book of Revelation. The old apostle picked up his writing material and began to write. And the text scripture that we read today was penned by the hand or dictated by the voice of this old apostle. I'm submitting to you today that the world that John lived in when he wrote the book of Revelation was a roman world it was a world that he saw every day as he walked throughout the course of his daily intercourse with society he observed many things and in the roman world that he lived there were many crowns given for many acts of merit and bravery He lived in a world that was no longer Jewish. Jerusalem was gone. It had been burned and destroyed over 20 years before. There was nothing left of his beloved homeland. Living now in Ephesus, as an old man, it is completely a Roman world. Jews have been expelled and scattered in the diaspora. John writes to the world that he lives in. He uses Roman imagery and symbolism to pen the book we call Revelation. When John says what I read to you today, on his head, many crowns. John was describing the crowns he saw every day in the marketplace, on the Roman roads, and in the tribunal courtyards. They surrounded him in the world in a daily way. The Roman use of crowns is unique in world history. It is backwards and inverted to our way of thinking. Can I tell you today that the lowest awarded crowns given were crowns made out of gold. When we read in the Bible that we take our crowns of gold and we cast them at his feet, in the book of Revelation chapter 4 because we value gold. We see that as some significant act of giving up something that is very valuable. I'm sorry to pop your bubble today, but I came to let you know the truth. And the truth is that in the Roman world, the golden crown was the lowest level crown that a human being could achieve. It was entry level crown. It was not the highest crown at all. They are the basic crown given for the most common awards. They are in the eyes of the Romans the furthest thing from the gods. They are the farthest thing from anything of value because you have to go deep in the earth to find them. They saw the highest accolades and the highest awards as those things that were nearer to heaven. So I'm submitting to you today that when John the statement on his head, many crowns. His viewpoint was not what we would take from a Western value system. They are Roman values and it is inverted to our modern thinking. Let me tell you for just a few moments today about these crowns and why they would be on the head of Jesus. One of these crowns was called the Corona Valerias. It was a gold crown. I'm going to call it the crown of Palisades. As he walked the daily walk throughout the city of Ephesus and possibly other places he had journeyed in the empire. Occasionally he would see a Roman soldier. And the Roman soldier would have on this golden crown. And it was a crown of Palisades. This particular crown was given to a Roman soldier that had protected someone from attack. When the enemy was so close that he had you in his sights and he could literally put his hand on you, the man that came between them, the man that formed a barrier between you and destruction, became the man that was awarded the crown of the palisade. The palisade wearing on his head stands for the fact that I stood between someone and destruction. I believe when John saw these crowns in the everyday life that he lived, he saw things in the spirit world that went far beyond the Roman empire. I have to believe that John saw a soldier one day, maybe at the marketplace, maybe selecting a piece of fruit. Who knows the business that he was doing, but all of a sudden he saw that crown and he didn't think about that Roman soldier. But he thought about his cousin. He thought about his God. He thought about his Lord. And he said, let me tell you something. There would be nobody in heaven at all if it wasn't for the fact that Christ wears the crown of a palisade. That he stands between me and my failures. If it wasn't for him, I was down and I never could have got up. There are people in your life that will do this. I'm not just being nice. I've told this when I wasn't asked to speak at this meeting. But right there on the front row is one of the finest, most elegant women in Pentecost. Her name is Mary Wilson. Long before Mary Wilson was the elegant lady and, and the bishop's wife here, way back when she was just a young girl and, and she was still a McDonald and finally got married to, to Nathaniel Wilson, way back then. From that moment till this, I'm telling you, she has been my friend. She has been one of those people that was a palisade in my life. Not only her, but Brother Wilson as well. Brother Wilson, I want you to know that when other people walked away Nate Wilson didn't walk away Nate Wilson was a palisade in my life when I was so far down I didn't know if I could get up and the devil was so close he was almost touching me you know what he was reaching through Nate and Mary Wilson he was reaching through people that said you can't do this they prayed for me they kept me on my feet and I'm here today because of the palisade Christ will put people in your life that will keep you from falling. He wears that crown today. On his head, many crowns. On his head, many crowns. Crown of Palisades. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but is Book Brother Booker here today? Are you here? You he may be sleeping in or working or something. no telling i'm gonna tell you brother booker was a palisade in my life i wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for larry booker there was a time that i was so far down the old country saying is i couldn't even see up i was down i was ready to throw in the towel I had been through a brutal five year period of my life. I didn't think I could get up. I was 43 years old and I told brother Booker, I said, I can't go any further. It's over. I'm quitting. I was so, I was so messed up. I hired a professional, a resume writer, a retired editor from the San Francisco Chronicle and I paid $300. This is way back in 1996, 95 or six and, and I paid $300. I said, write me a resume that'll get me a good job because Because I won't be doing what I'm doing. And I'm going to tell you, Larry Booker got in his car. And he drove several hours. And he came to where I was. And he said, get in this car. And when we got through with that ride, I just want you to know that I said, I'm going on. I'm not throwing in the towel. I will preach the gospel. I'm telling you. Nate Wilson said, come preach in Sacramento. Larry, they were Palisades in my life. They kept me. I could feel the hot breath of the devil. I could feel his fingernails scratching the edge of my face. But I had friends that were a palisade. Oh, you better thank God for people that will love you. You better thank God. But nobody does it more than Jesus. He reaches down and John said on his head, many crowns. And one of them is the crown of a palisade. Why don't you thank him for all those moments that you wanted to quit and he wouldn't let you quit. Please don't act sanctimonious today and like you've never had those moments. Please don't act like you've never felt down and out and didn't know if you could get up. Why don't you thank him? Thank you, God, for putting a palisade in my life. The devil couldn't reach me.
1: He tried. I was willing to give up, but you put a palisade around me.
0: You may be seated No doubt at another occasion John was somewhere And he saw another crown And It was a gold crown These early ones are all Gold crowns The lower valued Crowns And this crown Looked different It was made of battlements It was awarded to a soldier who scaled a wall. Who, like Joab, when he got in and took Jerusalem. Those moments. And it's a battle met crown. It meant that he found a way to intrude in the enemy's armor. And he held his position until the entire army. make its way in and win the victory. It was a crown of battlement. I'm sure John admired it and possibly even walked over and took a better look at it. But he's writing to a world that is now 100% Roman. Jerusalem's gone. It's been gone for over 20 years. People are now living that have never seen Jerusalem. It's a whole new vista. And John sees not the success of that Roman soldier, but his mind goes to something the Apostle Paul wrote many years ago, that he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. And he led captivity captive, and he knows that there was a place where the devil was and he had the keys of death and hell I don't believe the devil ever had the power to take a person's life that's not what that scripture means if he could have taken it he would have taken many but he had the power to hold men in some kind of place and we can debate it all and talk about Abraham's bosom and all of that but somehow in the Old Testament the Bible says the devil had the power of death but I came to preach to you that there was a moment when Mary started to reach out and touch him and he said don't touch me yet I have not ascended unto My father, I've got a little work i got to do. And somehow he went into the regions of hell. And he preached to those spirits that were there. And my Bible says he took the keys of death and hell out of the hand of Satan. And today he holds them in his hand according to Revelation chapter 1. He said, I have the keys of death and hell. You want to know why I praise him? Many crowns are on his head and one of them is the crown of the battlements. Woo. You may be seated. The old song said, born in a stable. His mother a virgin, raised in a carpenter shop. His people were slaves, his parents were poor. His friends were a lowly lot. His chances in life are very slim. He's expected to be a slave. But the people in darkness saw a light in him and hoped of the freedom he gave. Jesus went into that place and took those keys. And he's standing there today. And we have the privilege of saying, O oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh grave where is you see he's coming back one of these days and one of the things you gotta like about Jesus is he's not delegating it for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout He's
1: going to sling a long, lean Galilean leg over the back of a white horse. And he's going to ride right down through the sky because he
0: has conquered the devil's territory. We praise him because of the crown on his head. On his head,
1: many crowns.
0: You may be seated. They had a little crown that was not as common, but it was given. It was called the Corona Navales. It means the crown of waters. This crown was given to someone who sailed the sea and engaged the enemy, boarded their ship, and conquered Somewhere John encountered him, he would have seen a man in the marketplace somewhere and said, what does that crown represent? Oh, that gentleman, that soldier is a ship's captain and he fought a naval battle and he won. And I know that John didn't look at water the way we do in the natural sense. He saw waters as the peoples of the world. And John could see Jesus on the old ship of Zion as he sailed through life saying, come on board. Come on board. Waters and Revelation are people. And Jesus pilots this ship. The old ship of Zion has been sailing for 2,000 years. Listen to the words of an old song. I was standing on the banks of the river looking out over life's troubled sea when I saw the old ship of Zion sailing I see it coming hallelujah its hall was bent and battered and the storms of life but waters were rough but that old ship just kept right on sailing the old ship of Zion at the stern
1: of the ship stood the captain Jesus is his name I could hear as he called my name get on board the old ship of Zion
0: I don't know about you but I'm glad I'm on the old ship of Zion today I don't plan on getting off at any port I don't care what the enticements (laughs) two weeks ago you may be seated two weeks ago there was a man in South Texas been around the church all his life he was a preacher's friend he loved to cook and barbecue every time preachers would come by he would cook for them etouffee and shrimp and barbecue and do all kinds of steaks and everything, tri-tip I've been there ate his food, tremendous cook his wife was in the church been in the church many years he'd been around the church but never was in the church and I don't know maybe two years ago I was down there preaching his name was Mike Mike got all stirred up. Mike said, I need to be baptized. Man, everybody was excited. Mike got baptized. and For about two weeks, he was really on fire and then kind of cooled his jets for the last two years. Come off and on, but he wasn't really in. And they kept saying, Mike, you need the Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah, I know. But he never would say it. About two and a half weeks ago, Mike got really sick. And, and he got congestive heart problems. And in three days he gained over 20 pounds fluid in his body. And he called his wife and said something he had never said. He said, Honey, I need the Holy Ghost. She said, Yes, Mike, yes. She called the pastors, a friend of mine. She said, Mike is saying he needs the Holy Ghost. He said, Let's go. They made the drive to Houston. Mike was in a hospital at Houston intensive care just two weeks ago pastor walked in that room mike began to cry he said the holy ghost i need the holy ghost this is kind of scary and the pastor said you may never get out of this bed but you can get the Holy Ghost and just in a few moments Mike raised his hands and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gave the address now you listen to me 37 hours later the old ship of Zion stopped at his part and Mike got on the old ship of Zion and sailed off into eternity but God loved him enough to bring the old ship by more time. 37 hours from eternity. You better believe he wears the crown of many waters on his head today. He wears the crown of Palisade. He wears the crown of battlement. He wears the crown of waters. Oh, yes, he does. On his head, many crowns. The crown that Caesar wore was made of common oak leaves. Tip of the hat to the message last night. Oak trees. This was the Corona Civica or the civic crown. I am not a world scholar. Make no claim to it. But in the museums I've been to, the pictures I've seen in books... I've never seen one of the Caesars wear any kind of crown but the civica. Now you may have seen it and it may be out there. I'm just telling you what this old redneck seen. When you see them, they're pictured with these little oak leaf crowns. It's not because they couldn't afford a gold one. They could have afforded the most intricate elaborate in the world. Those crowns didn't mean anything to the Romans. This one meant something because that little that little crown of oak leaves it came into the being during the time of the republic and the principate it was regarded as the second highest military decoration this was awarded to a frater frater who saved the life of a comrade in battle and it was witnessed by other people The person was down. Come here, brother cadet. He was down. Lay down on the floor. Somebody. Face up. Face up. He was down. And somebody was on him. And somebody had a sword raised. And somebody was about to take his life. And somebody witnessed that a soldier came in and took that assassin off of him and killed him. And they said he saved his life do you understand jesus has done that for every person in this room don't tell me how good you were don't tell me no 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 no. you were down without hope Paul said we were hopeless, we were without God, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. But God, but God, he stepped in there. When you see him, many crowns on his head, but one of them will be the civic crown that says I saved them. And everybody saw what I did. That's why Caesar's legions followed him that's why we follow Jesus. All of that to tell you about the last crown. Interesting to me, it's pronounced the Corona Gramea, G-R-A-M-I-N-E-A, and it's known as the grass crown. It was the highest crown that could be given in the Roman world only one person could have this crown just one you didn't see it in the marketplace it wasn't common only one the uniqueness of this crown all the other crowns were given by superiors to people who did amazing things this crown is the only crown awarded from the army to the person who received it, it came the other way. The qualifying factor of this crown were several things. Number one, you had to be the military person in charge. Number two, you had to completely free a besieged or a blockaded army that was doomed to destruction but you by yourself single-handedly broke that blockade and broke the besieged army free and in grateful acknowledgement those that had been set free reached down on the ground and pulled from the ground a plant Where the battle took place. And they formed that plant into a crown. And they placed it upon the head of the one that had broken the blockade of the entire army. And they said, Because of you, we are free. Because of you, our life has been saved think it's a coincidence that Roman soldiers reached down and pulled thorns out of the ground and made a grass crown and placed it on the brow of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of one thing. Way back in Genesis chapter number three, when the devil made his move, God himself said, I will fight you and we will war. But the first word out of his mouth concerning the ground the battlefield in Genesis three eighteen, he said thorns will come out of this battlefield it's not an ironic thing that he reached down and they put on his head the crown of Gramea, the crown of thorns why don't you lift your hands and mentally put that crown on his brow and say, you are the one that delivered us. You are the only one that could save the whole human race. You're the one that broke the blockade of our beleaguered army. I came to tell no limits. The die is cast. The game has been ventured. The future is determined and there are no more options. Events will proceed in an irreversible manner. The point of no return has been passed. Thank God for that sermon last night. There is no time for young people to dally and fool around because it's time. It's now. It's today. I'm almost finished. Maybe it's here. No matter what happens at fourteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue, the die is cast. The future is determined. He's going to swing a long, lean, Galilean leg over a white horse, and he's going to come riding down through the skies. The game has been ventured. <laughs> Can I tell you if bitcoins become the standard of world finance, or if they're eclipsed by some other world currency? The future is already. Determined. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. There are no more options. If Islam takes the fertile crescent, and 200 million men die and blood flows to the horse's bridle. I want to tell you that events will proceed in an irreversible manner. (laughs) The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God because the point of no return has been passed. Aleo Yata est. Whew. Clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, <laughs> riding a white horse, the armies of heaven following. You can know this when you see him. John said, "I saw heaven opened, and on his head many crowns. <laughs> you got to make up your mind that the end is already decided. Am I going to be stupid or am I going to be smart? A couple of weeks ago, they had a wreck on Interstate 5, a few miles south of us. 18-wheeler got tangled up with a car. When a gentleman I know went over to try to help him out of the car, the guy was drunk. He was fighting them. The car was already on fire. They knew the car was going to explode and blow up. And the guy's drunk. And he's cussing them. Leave me alone. Who do you think you are trying to get me out? This is my car. I can stay here if I want to. He was so drunk, he couldn't even tell what was going on around him. Does that paint a picture of our world or what? They're so drunk on the sports that he talked about. They're so drunk on Hollywood so drunk on stupidity that preachers trying to pull them out of a burning situation and they're drunk on life and drunk on cares of and they're drunk they're, and you're trying to pull them out and they're saying leave me alone don't preach to me I don't want to be bothered we're trying to save you they pulled him out put him on a gurney Put him in the ambulance and send him to the hospital. He was still cussing him when he left. That's how people get caught up. I close. May of 2004, National Geographic magazine did a little article that I thought was really interesting and insightful. Along with the article was, of course, their usual very vivid photographs this article described an attack on a moose by some Alaskan wolves a pack of six wolves had attacked the moose a week earlier they were unable to bring it down for the kill but they just continued their relentless chase for seven days The young bull had been attacked and wounded. He had a deep gash to his right thigh and for all week had bled into the snow, limped along with the pack of wolves in stealthy pursuit. Even though the wounded moose was still dangerous, as he lashed out with his hooves and his antlers, killing this moose would be the ultimate payoff for the pack. And they knew that time was on their side as long as they continued to press the attack. The wolves being much smaller, less mass than the moose, they knew how to teamwork a lone victim. One experienced hunter would jump on the moose's rump and gouge the thigh muscles so he's not as mobile. Another one sinks his teeth into the nose of the moose so he can't move his head and defend himself with his antlers. And others in the pack rip, clench, whatever parts of the body they can manage to hang on to with those razor sharp teeth. Remarkably, this moose had survived the initial attack. He was battered, but he wasn't beaten. All day, the wolves stalked the moose, repeatedly forcing him into the freezing river that would sap his strength. When he came out of the river, he no longer shook his antlers at his pursuers. His ribs were now showing. His breath was in shallow breaths. His eyes were sunken and hollow. In the late afternoon, the moose scrambled back up the bank to escape the icy water. And when a wolf closed in, the article said, Hunter and pray locked eyes in what was described the conversation of death it was two animals saying we both know this is over the wolves now seemed to sense the mood were no longer what they could be hurt and they rushed him backed him into the river and he went down two wolves pulled him out into the shallow water they began to eat. Bears came. One line in that story stuck out to me. It said, a week earlier, it had all began with an act of isolation. The moose would have never fallen if he would have just stayed in the herd. Can I tell young and old alike, he can't get you if you'll just stay in the middle of the church. He's got to isolate you. He's got to separate you. He's got to get you off by yourself. Pastor Young, would you come up to the keyboard? I'm going to ask a favor of the family. I hope it's okay with them. But Sister Wilson, would you you come help today? Brother Wilson, would you come? Come with her. And uh, Sister Young, are you in? Got my glasses on. Sister Young, if you could come up. Sister Becky, are you here? Come up. You see, all of us have come such a mighty long way. Sister Wilson, come here. you. You see, this is the most elegant lady in Pentecost, kind and gentle. We call her. She deserves it. But today I'm, I'm reaching back to when she wasn't Sister Wilson. When she was married. In South Modesto. With Brother Rody. And your mom and your daddy. And Joy was there. and Priscilla was there. And all your sisters, and but Mackie was there, mean as it ever was. And it was you and your family. Brother Wilson. Men just don't do what you've done. You have been such an incredible achievement. But right now, I want to reach back to Kermit. When you were that young teenage boy he was talking about. And you, know how you got from South Modesto to here. It was many crowns on his head that brought you from there to here. And that's what got that little guy from Kermit to the bishop that he is, to the books you've written, the universe, all this magnificent stuff you're doing. It's because I saw heaven open, and on his head, many crowns. That's why you're here today. I thought of some of the people that are here. Is Brother King here? Are you here, Johnny King? Are you here? Raise your hand. I won't make you... Come. There he is. Brother King, you've done phenomenal things. Got your doctorate, built a great church. I, I understand the journey. But when they begin to sing, would you go back to that night when your daddy came in drunk during Verbal Beans revival and your dad had not been sober for 18 months. He had been on one long drunk, but that night. Your mother had fasted until Pastor Terry told her to stop. But that night, Johnny, not Brother King down here, but that night, Johnny witnessed how God touched Leroy King and delivered him from alcohol until the day he died. He never took another drink. Brother King, I want you to go back to that night. Sister King go back to those days when your grandpa was your pastor and you were just a little red headed frickle girl and your mom and dad was in the church I'm asking all of you to go back to the moment when he found you and realize the reason you're here right now is because on his head many crowns, there's palisades and battlements and savicas, there's all kinds would you go stand by brother young and just sing this old song I wonder if you'd just sing an old chorus with me. It's Brother Mayo here. Where's Brother Mayo? You here? When we sing this, very few men will ever be as successful as you are. But I don't want you to be Brother Mayo right now. I want you to be that long-haired guy that stopped at the warehouse church by 99 and, and realized that if it wasn't his head are many crowns I saw heaven open behold a white horse he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood he had a name that no man knew but he himself and the armies which were in heaven followed him and on his head were many crowns would you lift your hands close your eyes Go back to that moment so many years ago when you didn't have what you have now. Sing this old chorus with us.
1: Jesus. 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 There's just something about that say thank you. Why don't you just step up to the front? Why don't you just walk up for a few moments and tell them thank you. Thank you for all the crowds that you've won. That brought me to where I am right now. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the crowds. All heaven and earth Haley? proclaim, Haley? Austin, King Wilson family, King. Where's Doug? Doug Kingdoms Salter, come on, Doug, come on. We'll all pass away. What an incredible family! But there's something about. Come on, sing it to the Lord. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus! Jesus, Jesus. Oh, there's something. there's just something about, about. That name. on His head on many crowns.
0: You something. Don't ever be ashamed to go to the house of God and worship him. Because Jesus is what it's all about. It does no good to expand a kingdom if we don't expand it in the name of Jesus. Your home, your life, your situation, take it home from this conference and make up your mind, I'm gonna live for God. Like I've never lived for him all the days of my life. Aleo Yates. Would you close your eyes and sing it with the Wilson Young family one more time before? Jesus. We hear you. Yes, 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 yes.
1: Jesus.